You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers Initiative. And I will always love you. Ooh. And that is what turned Mysterio evil, was hearing that song. It's probably sung by me as well, so... (laughs) Uh, no, I just think that song in general. I, I think every so often it either creates a supervillain or opens a portal to like some sort of vampire dimension. It's one of those two. It happens. Yes. Well, we have um, reached the end of Faith 3. I'm Matthew Rushing. And of course, with me, as always, is John Mills. And we assembled the Avengers. And well, now I who knows what will happen to them. So. Yes. There's there's no more assembling to be done, or maybe there's maybe there's a promise of more assembling with this end of phase three. But I will tell you right off the bat, this feels like a marathon that we've just, you know, I feel like Rocky at the end of phase three is like I just gotta go the distance. <laughs> like I feel like I feel like a little part of me, yeah, just made it through. All I wanted to do was make it through, and I did it. I did it. Well, yeah, and it's 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 just going to be fascinating because you know phase four is is just this very interesting thing, and so uh, we're we'll get there. Um, and uh, but we have one more film in phase three, and we want to thank you for joining us here on Assembling Avengers in the Six Hundred Two Club feed. Of course, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts and just subscribe well, wherever that is so you get the show as soon as it drops. Uh, of course, all of the shows here with the bonus shows and everything. Uh, you have also can find us on Twitter at The 602 Club. We're on Instagram at The 602 Club, TFM. Got the entire network on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm and you can find all the shows we do over at trek.fm as well. There's a contact section. You can send us an email if you'd like. Uh, so yeah, and of course... We'd like to really encourage you to go over to patreon.com slash trekfm because there's no way we can make these shows without listeners just like you. So you can become part of our team and uh, support us every month. Make sure all this content keeps coming to you ad-free. Every little bit helps. Again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm. So, John, Endgame is, has ended. And, yes. Um, one more film in Phase 3. It was not the beginning of Phase 4. It is the end of Phase 3, and that is Spider-Man Far From Home. So, John, how did you enjoy your theater experience with Far From Home? Oh, don't be that way. Everybody should know by now that this is the first time I'm seeing Spider-Man Far From Home. I did not see this in the movie theater. I, I won't lie. Like, a very large part of me was... Endgame was the end. Why would I go see a Spider-Man movie, especially if it wasn't the beginning of something new? And I I will be absolutely upfront and say I think that it was too soon. They didn't give us enough time to take a breath between features. And um that's pretty much what kept me away and then I had a lot of friends give me the meh review. Where I said, so how was it? Because, you know, that can always change your mind, the, the word of mouth thing. And right. the overall reaction was, eh. 
was like, okay, well, I'm not going to bust my hump getting in there. What about mm-hmm. your theater experience? Uh, it was it was good. Um, you know, I just remember, you know, after Endgame, um, I, I was also very surprised that this came out as quickly as it did. Um, you know, this comes out in July, and so it is very quick. Um, part of that, you know, really has to do with the fact that Sony wants more Spider-Man, and, you know, of course, Marvel is... They're working together, and the only reason they can have Spider-Man at all in the MCU is because of that. And so uh, they allow that to happen, of course. And so, yeah, I had very good theater experience. It was fun uh, to be in the theater again. And it, it was just weird, though, after Endgame, you know. And, you know, we talked about that last time, about whether or not we felt like that this should have just ended. And you know, a part of that, I mean... John is is that we have to deal with the fallout of Endgame, mm-hmm. uh, and you know uh, specifically here the thing I'm thinking of most is this whole idea of well how do you deal with the blip, you know as they call it um, the and. You have people that were gone for five years and then come back. Of course, you know, everybody in Peter's class was, you know, gone for five years um, for the, all the important ones. So that that's that, you know, mm-hmm. it's really nice how uh, that statistical analysis worked out of like snapping people <laughs> away and mm-hmm. just snapped away the right people. Uh, so that's great. Um, but how did how did you feel like watching this film that it dealt with that aftermath? Because. That is something we didn't really talk about in Endgame, which is this idea of instead of kind of snapping the universe back to pre-five years ago, which they absolutely could have done Mm -hmm. because, you know, um, you can rewrite reality. I don't know why they didn't just do that. It just seems like it would have been smarter. Um, But they leave it for five years. So there's this massive, I mean, people have been displaced from their homes. Now they're back. I mean, kids that were once older than other kids are now younger because they were, I mean, so like, how did you feel like this film kind of dealt with that? Well, I think that that's what the movie should have dealt with as its main focus. This going around Europe thing was, a distraction from what I think was a very good emotional sort of thing. I think that what's called for after Endgame is not spectacle, but something a little more introspective, something a little smaller scale. Like, And you can still have your big battle at the end and stuff like that. But I think that the movie is too focused on stuff other than what you're talking about. I thought that was interesting because... It's not something you spend a lot of time thinking about in Endgame, where, like you said, so many, you know, some people they came back and they were the same, you know, they were the same age, but everybody else was five years older. That's a very interesting sort of thing to explore. And I think it would also have been more interesting to explore the idea that Peter's back in New York and it's still a mess. They haven't had time to clean up everything, but they don't spend time with that that the only looks pretty much normal yeah the only thing that seems displaced are people's ages relatively speaking but it's never a big thing it's used for a couple of jokes here and there and that would have been a much more interesting sort of angle to go with i think and 
So, I mean, my general impression was that's your movie right there. And have something also that's your in for Mysterio. He has spent five years building to this moment. And then all of a sudden everybody came like he was going to be the hero. And then everybody came back and he he loses his thunder. And that's what. You know, that that can become a motivator for Beck as well of he was getting ready in this new world order to be the hero. And then the world reset again and he missed his chance. That Mm -hmm. could be something that angers him and motivates him and explains how he spent so much time putting all of this together. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, I I know that people hate it when we sit there and we rewrite the movie and those sorts of things, but this is script level stuff. And I think they, they just fell victim to the need for giant spectacle as opposed to what you're talking about, which are very interesting emotional beats. Mm -hmm. You know, I think on this, this movie does the right thing in treating the blip and all of that as a joke. I, I might sound weird, but I just, I think the, when I look at where the Marvel universe is going to try to go afterwards and try to deal with the fallout of Endgame in a more serious way, um, it just doesn't really feel equipped to do that very well because the Marvel universe, especially after Civil War, stops finding itself very seriously. You know, like all the movies just become more and more comedy laced so that by the time we get here, I just don't feel like they've set themselves up to handle this well. Um, maybe they could have, but you know, not to, not to not to jump the 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 phase, but I mean like you know what they're going to try and do in Captain America Winter Soldier and uh, our Captain Falcon Winter Soldier and all that stuff. It's like I I feel like this kind of is is just it's almost like I just want to forget no, see this this is where I'm going to challenge you, right? Is They've shown that they can give directors the leeway to do their own thing. Taika Waititi takes everything too comical, and Captain Marvel doesn't know what it wants to be. But there is a freedom that they give to writers and directors. So I understand what you're saying about that Marvel fell into that rut of taking things too comical. Mm -hmm. But this was their opportunity to do a perfect follow-up to Endgame. Like, if this is going to truly be... This is how we're resolving stuff. They they really should have spent the time saying this is the coda mm-hmm. to right, Endgame. Right. And instead, yeah. there's a part of it that's a coda to Endgame. But then there's that mm-hmm. part of it that's, we got to yeah. make a billion dollars. So we're going to have a giant water monster attack Venice. <laughs> and we're going to yeah. have a giant uh, fire monster attack wherever the heck they were and stuff like that. And it's like... And you have the bumbling idiot teachers taking everybody through Europe. And it's like, this This really is yeah. a jumble of a movie as a result. I mean, what it does feel like is that they were trying to continue the John Hughes feel. And they were in that then 
not willing to take the more serious route. Um, yeah. Which, I, you know, look, I, I I totally agree with what you're saying. I just don't feel like Marvel had it in them to, to do it, and maybe they could have done it completely differently because on the other side, and I'm, I'm sure you're going to agree with this part, though, the thing that is done, I think, really well is Peter's struggle with being looked at as being, quote-unquote, the next Iron Man and mm-hmm. not knowing how to live up to that legacy because he's still just a kid. And, he, you know, like... And again, I think this kind of goes back to where this continues from Spider-Man Homecoming. He's still never really been mentored on what it means to be a hero in the first place on that larger scale. And then he's just kind of thrown into it. We're here with Fury and Hill and everything and just ask, like, he's so green, which is weird because, you know, he's been to space and fought Thanos and everything, but he's still so green when it comes to what it means to do all of this and have all this responsibility on his shoulders. And so that's something that I think the movie, I think the whole movie probably should have been more about that just and and really honed in just character-wise on Peter and his struggle yeah right exactly right um and that you know and in the context of like all the emotional stuff that the kids are going through and you can still have the the big bad villain and everything but i mean honestly early on it was confirmed but then walked back that michael keaton was going to come back as vulture how interesting would it have been for vulture to have been there and to say you while you were gone for five years, it was weird. You know, like I, it, anyway. I forgive me for for going down that road. I, I but this was, and I'm, it probably tips my hand. This is just this is the first movie in a while where I just I I, I was baffled by the decisions that were made at a a base level. That once you're committed to filming them, there's no going back. There's no way to, you know, I, you know, I always love to play that game of what would I cut? What would I rearrange that could maybe make this flow better? I can't, there's, I can't play that game with this. And that, that's more annoying to me than anything else, honestly, because it's like, I like playing that game. Um, But I mean, listen, I, I know I've been spending all this time curb stomping on it, but I mean, like there, there were elements that I liked that I thought were fun. Um, I thought that, uh, I, I mean, John Favreau was happy is always great. I love that he has gotten to keep playing that role. He's, he's such a teddy bear and I, I, I enjoy watching his interactions and, and his line to let everything. I, th- I just think that Favreau has a great screen presence. I think Tomei has a great screen presence and I thought the two of them were having a lot of fun with what was going on. But again, that speaks to all over again where the emotional core of this movie belonged was with the people, the characters Mm -hmm. and your point about the John Hughes movie. Yeah. Let's make our, you know, planes, trains and automobiles, Marvel movie instead of our weird science or our 16 Mm -hmm. candles, right? Like let's go in, let's go full breakfast club here. 
Yeah. Or even absolutely. Ferris Bueller's Day Off and yeah. have, why not have Peter doing a vlog or vlog or however you want to pronounce it, right? Have him doing this sort of like video diary through the thing and mm-hmm. he gets to break the fourth wall like Ferris Bueller and talk to the audience about it. Like, I think that would have been a really mm-hmm. interesting sort of thing. But yeah. again, that's not what this movie is. and It's not how it was written. Yeah. So. And, uh, you know, because I, I, I really do respond to the fact that Peter just feels completely overwhelmed. And, you know, I get why, you know, for him too, uh, you know, he's excited about going on this trip and he's he's hoping that that means he can kind of get away from Spider-Man and just be Peter um, and, you know, focus on his relationship with MJ and trying to make that a thing and, you know, um, and basically too, to just escape the shadow of, of Tony Stark. Like he just and 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 that's what I think is really fascinating about this film is that it really does continue the theme from the first movie, which is he's in P, he's in Tony's shadow, mm-hmm. and he won't be out of Tony's shadow until you know far from or no way home, um yeah. and you know and I I think that that's that's such an interesting thing for them to deal with and I I think they do it relatively well but I think like you mentioned you know it does get drowned out with a lot of the other things that happen in the movie. And I think this is where a lot of those comedy bits and things take away from what should have been probably a a more serious, like, like you said, this needs to be more the breakfast club than it is 16 candles. There's an additional thing, and I just I gotta I gotta go head on with this. The stinger does not in any way ameliorate my frustration with what they did with Nick Fury's character. I think that that stinger is a get out of jail free card for the fact that they made him too comical. Well, how can we explain this away? Oh, it wasn't Nick Fury the whole time, which raises its own whole host of things to sit there and say, wait, what? Yeah, how and long has Nick been, Fury not been on Earth? Well, right. But additionally, there's a um there's an aspect to that of let's get back to that human element we keep talking about. You tone that down, you have a smaller, more intimate movie, and Fury then being revealed not to be him and saying, mm-hmm. I got the glasses to him. That isn't a comedy bit anymore. It's a mm-hmm. it's like Martian Manhunter visiting uh, Martha Kent in Zack Snyder's Justice League. It's that type of moment where he needed that person it didn't it he wouldn't have taken it from me he had to see you in this spot like and it becomes more complex and more rich i think but i i just i did not care for mm-hmm. no matter what your explanation having nick fury play that much against type was frustrating for me yeah i mean i didn't love it either um i i i I just like you, I think it raises too many questions that, and we were still waiting for answers for like, 
we're in like 12 things of, of phase four and we still haven't seen what's going on with Nick Fury in Secret Wars yet. Or whatever the show is they're doing, Secret Invasion, I think. Uh, so, yeah, it's one of those things that it feels like, you know how I complained about this, that Thanos just just kept going, going, going. I mean, just like, we're never going to get there. I, yeah, it's kind of what it feels like with this Nick Fury thing. It's like, I have no idea where we're going with this. And it's even less clear because at least with Thanos, we knew who Thanos was. You know, and like what yeah. the kind of the end game of that story was, pun intended. Um, but with this, we it just it doesn't we don't we have no clue, and so it is very frustrating. Um, yeah. So uh, you know, <laughs> I have a question for you because I know Mysterio is a character to which you really like. Uh, I so, loved Mysterio growing up. So Ra- what did you reading think Spider-Man comics? Yeah. of Mysterio here in the film? And, of course, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal bringing him to live action. This is the tricky thing, right, is I thought Jake Gyllenhaal was great. Qualifier, I think Jake Gyllenhaal was great in everything he does. I He has yet to deliver a performance that I'm disappointed in. I, I struggle to think of a Jake Gyllenhaal performance where I didn't say... You know, that guy's really good. He is just really good at what he does. If anybody has not seen Nightcrawler, which has nothing to do with the X-Man, you should see the movie Nightcrawler. Riz Ahmed is in it as well, as is Renee Russo. Fantastic film and one of Hall's best performances ever. So I, I thought that he was very interesting. Now, of course, as a touchstone, this is... Cinematic universe, Quentin Beck. This is not comic book Quentin Beck I grew up with. I don't care. That's fine. It's about the possibilities of the character. I don't care that Magneto isn't the Magneto I grew up with necessarily. Ian McKellen captures the spirit of him. And I thought that Hall did a great job of bringing this Mysterio to life. I enjoyed watching him. He was a villain that I thought was interesting. All that said, it that's one of the things that makes the movie so disjointed for me is it emphasizes how much of this doesn't mesh as well as it should because Hall and Holland have great chemistry in their scenes together and those scenes work. So then do I have to pivot and say, well, all this Hall stuff is Mysterio is great. And I really enjoy it. But I like that other stuff more. So I'd have to sacrifice this for that. Well, I don't want to sacrifice that. I don't want to sacrifice, you know, like, and so it, it sort of calls that that lack of meshing uh, more to the forefront. I, I you know, I, I bought him. I thought he was great. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed his performance. I mean, it, I hope you agree with me. I hope you agree that he was a you no. know, great villain. I- I think that what what I like about this film the most is Mysterio um, and the way he's reacting to Peter. His backstory, I thought, was really clever about this fact that and, – and what I liked about this is the way in which, you know, Peter's struggling to live up to Tony Stark. And what we see is that Tony Stark 
as Happy says, couldn't live up to being Tony Stark. And he'd made a lot of mistakes. And a lot of those mistakes had hurt people that had led to all of these people wanting to turn against him, right? And I thought that that was really nice, is that, you know, our heroes aren't perfect people. Um, they're people who make mistakes, and just like we do, and they got to learn from them, and they got to grow from them. And, you know, we'd already seen this in Iron Man 3 some, so I think it set up the idea that, you know, Tony's behavior, especially as a younger person, um, had led to, uh, you know, people feeling like this about him. It had led people to feel like this about his dad, too, you know? So it's like this was a longstanding thing with the Starks. So I, I loved all of that. I think you're absolutely right. Um, the chemistry he has, the scenes he has with Peter are fantastic. Um, you know, I think when he turns on Peter, it is kind of a gut punch because Peter just wants somebody to be a father figure to him. You just want somebody to take an interest in him and to be mm -hmm. there for him to talk to. Um, and for him to then get burned again in this film, I think when I just think of the character, I think it's great. Um, so I thought Mysterio was really good in this film. And, and then I'm sure you know where I'm going to go with this because this is my thing, but the thematic elements of Mysterio are hands down some of the best I've seen in the MCU since Winter Soldier uh, because the way in which they display Mysterio here and the use of illusion and working to to make people think what you want them to think and believe what you want them to believe regardless of whether it's true or not it was phenomenal. I mean his quotes of it's easy to fool people when they're already fooling themselves or when he mm -hmm. says people need to believe and nowadays, they'll believe anything. There's not much in the MCU that touches those two statements thematically. And then I think the way that they portray that with just this idea of people really are looking um, for something to believe in. They are kind of fooling themselves um, in their own little reality distortion fields. And what I loved is that the only way that then Peter is able to beat Mysterio is that he relies on the truth, which is his Peter tingle, his spidey sense, is what mm -hmm. allows him to tap into what's actually happening rather than the illusions around him. And so it's like, in the end, the truth sets Peter free. And I just think that thematic stuff is so great in this film it covers a multitude of sins that this film has for me i i don't think that it covers the same amount of sins uh that that it does for you i i completely i completely agree with what you're saying in a lot of ways i think though that that's one of the movie's biggest shortcomings is that it doesn't pair those up with the necessary emotional delivery. It, it doesn't hit you as fully as it should uh, with just with how all of the other stuff that they have going on, uh, you know, it's sort of a distraction for, you know, lack of a better word. Um, but, you know, they're all valid points. I just, I just 
it didn't it didn't spark the right way for me where i was like oh i get what you're saying because you're saying it but i'm not i wouldn't if i took that specific dialogue away would i still get the point like i can take certain dialogue out of the dark knight or out of batman begins and i still get the point that nolan is going for whereas with this and, and yes, I know, you know, we live in the era of it's not silent film. So I'm not saying you you need to have no dialogue or anything, but it's just it's there's just some sort of emotional spark that's missing. And I think that one of the things that speaks to that for me is that those scenes where Spider-Man is caught in the illusions were great in concept. They weren't necessarily as well executed visually as I would have liked, but they were great. Like I got, I suddenly got engaged. I was like, oh wow, this is really cool. And you can't have the thing go on for too long, but it was still, I still like, you know, I, I, I just, again, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to, beat a dead horse at this point. Like it's going to get tiresome if I keep going back to that point. So instead I'll say, you know, springboarding off of that where I think it could have connected even better on that point would have been if may were more involved in the movie, putting may in danger, putting happy in danger from Mysterio directly where they didn't know what to believe either. I think I think if the whole movie were constructed in such a way to have it affect all of these characters in a much more personal way, the way that those illusions affect Peter when he's fighting Mysterio, I think that it lands a lot better. Yeah, I I think I think what makes it so interesting for me in just that that whole element is that you know obviously it ties into the end of the movie with peter's uh truth being revealed of who he is and before we get to that it just it, i think mm. you know it really is picking at a lot of things which is this idea of like you know fake news and you know uh people just being duped by all sorts of things you know and part of it is because they don't know what to believe and I, I think yeah I, I just you know because that rings so true um, I just loved it and so yeah I, I, I get that the that the movie could have done a better job of what we kind of talked about before where if this movie had found a way to kind of be smaller so that we were really digging into all those things that would have been really interesting. And I think this is one of the places where you could go back to the idea of dealing with the five years, right? And that struggle of, like, what in the world is real? You know? Like, mm -hmm. yeah. people just disappeared for five years, and now they're back, and then those people who are back are, like, you, you know what I mean? Like, you think of the, the actual the mental state of, of the entire world with that type of thing happening. It, is, it makes a complete sense then with what Mysterio is saying. 
And they just, because that's is more of a joke and not more of a, like, of a serious take, it doesn't fit altogether as well as it could as a puzzle. I think also just with how quickly this was released, and I know this this will seem petty in a sense, but deconstructing Tony Stark so quickly after Endgame when he's had his most heroic moment, it just feels a little too close to have a group of disgruntled people saying, yeah, he stole my idea. Yeah, he treated me like garbage. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I get it. We've watched Tony's journey. <laughs> we know who he's been, but it all builds to that heroic moment. And right. it would have been more interesting for these people to express that and have Peter step in and say, you don't understand, he changed. And then you could have had a dual theme going of giving people the space to get better instead of crushing them for who they were Mm -hmm. and that would have been just as interesting in the especially in terms of the the whole what do you believe sort of thing because quentin beck is caught up in the whole idea of he can't let go of who tony was whereas peter knew tony when he was better when he was a better person when he had become a better person obviously beck didn't know that guy didn't understand that guy and but we do and peter does right. and yes. so it just doesn't that's yeah. why that doesn't good, work for really me terribly point. well no i i think you've got a a great point there um you know and, and I, I do think like you said that's you know if this movie instead of coming out in june or july when it comes out you know after endgame uh maybe it should have come out in like december you know, or, or well, maybe even the uh, next year. Uh, I, I still think there should have been a movie in between where they were doing this because of the fact that. I, I mean, again, it gets the release order thing where we talked about with like Black Panther and 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 Ragnarok and Captain Marvel and all of that sort of thing. It feels like there needs to be an actual story beat breather in between before we get mm-hmm. to that, get to this. Um, yeah, because I'm watching it for the first time one week after. Sure. Yep. But that's how it's going to be no matter what in the home market. Right. Because of release order. And so putting something else in its way would have, I think, helped a great deal. Um, what did you, what did you think about? Cause you know, we've got Peter and MJ finally kind of like finding their way together. You've got Ned and his little relationship that ends up happening. So how did, how did all that stuff work for you uh, in the movie? That's the fun John Hughes stuff. I like it. That's the stuff I would, I wish they would have spent more time on. And these kids, you know, put all four of them in a room and, and they have like a, you know, that breakfast club moment, you know, not to, not to make another reference there, but I just, you know, all that stuff worked really well, and I liked it. Um, I think what I got to ask is, going back to the whole thing that we're dealing with the illusion and people will believe what they believe, without tipping my own hand, I got to ask you, this 
film was nominated for a visual effects Oscar. Upon your reviewing, does this strike you as visual effects Oscar achievement level? Or is this another inconsistent Marvel effort where some of it's really fantastic and some of it is, oh, well, that was that was an insert shot, you know, sort of, uh, or pickup shot sort of thing. This movie feels consistent in its mediocrity in all the effects work. So it's consistent, but it's mediocre. It never strikes me in any way, shape, or form as being, oh, wow, that looks great. It's always like, it's okay. You know, like, it's passable. So walk me through it. Why does this get that praise? Now, because we all know. Oh, that's not praise. That's me saying. No, 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 not you. No, I, I'm talking about getting awards recognition, nominations. Oh, right. Um, we we all know how the two of us feel yeah. about awards ceremony. They're, they're freaking pointless. Yeah. But unless somebody gets slapped and then it's great, apparently. You know what? I, I would watch the Oscars if every winner had to get slapped. Like it was a hazing yeah, ritual where cool. every time somebody yeah. won, so, like I'm on board Let's and also that. make it two hours shorter. Yes. Um, but there is a. It's just puzzle. What do you see here that gets it this Oscar buzz, if you will, this recognition? I I'm I'm really at a loss for words, honestly, which is weird on a podcast to be lost for words. But I don't feel like anything here is Oscar worthy, and I don't know. I I just I, I you know the stuff in Venice is fine, I guess. I mean, the stuff in Prague with the fire monster is fine, but I'm never, like, wowed. I'm like, okay, that's passable. I just, I don't get it. I, I really don't. Was there, is there anything that stood out to you at all? Were there any scenes that you're like, okay, well, that one looks really good? The only ones that really leap out to me are after Peter leaves the fake pub... And everybody starts disappearing. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really well done. That's, yeah, that's true. That was that was a wow moment for me, where I said, "Wow, that that's really slick the way that they're doing that." Um, but I, and I suppose you could say when Peter is putting together his final outfit for the final battle, mm-hmm. I think we take it for granted how real that looks. That the machine is 3D printing yeah. his outfit. <laughs> That's true. Fair That's enough. Good point. Um, although none of us ever return to the question of, I know it's nanotechnology and everything, but that stuff has mass and weight. And so the plane, yeah. Okay. Let's not even worry about that. Um, so yeah, you know, th- there were there were a couple of moments where I was like, wow, this is really slick, but there was that consistency was missing. Um and I think that uh there's just uh it's just difficult because it's like, well, how else would you do it sort of thing, but 
yeah, I, I just didn't see anything that was um that that took it to that next that yeah. next sort of level. Uh, I think that you know one of the things you know you you have like the Mysterio effect, um, you know, which obviously we know already is a generation of machines, you know, later on in the film. But it looks so bad. I mean, it, you know, because the, the, the smoke stuff, it just feels like the world's worst smoke stuff you've seen. Um, I, I, I don't, I, I think that's one of the things that makes it look so cheesy. And yes, I, I get that the point of it is actually the fact that it's not well done uh, because it's not a real effect. But it's just not great. Um, I, I think so. the worst visual effect in the entire thing is Peter Billingsley's bald cap. Um, <laughs> so you know, as a bald man, I'm a little offended here. Shave your head and commit, please. Yeah, get it right, people. Get it. Come right. Come on now. Come on now. Yeah. So no, I mean, I, I mean, the effects are are fine. I, I think again, I. Th- what I find is that they're consistent at least. And so it doesn't feel like it really takes me out of the movie too much, but they're consistent in their just passable. They're, they're not wowing me in any way, which is disappointing when you have these, especially like that Venice scene. Like I do feel like you want that to be a spectacle that, you know, you will never forget. And it's just not. Yeah, I, speaking of spectacles that you'll never forget, um, bringing uh, J.K. Simmons back as J. Jonah Jameson, but as an Alex Jones type, uh, was brilliant. It's true. But that specific moment feels like the entire movie existed just for that to happen. <laughs> and it that frustrated the hell out of me because I went, wait, what? Even that, but like you can't do that. It's such I this is the point at which I get really mad at the stingers. Because whether it's Fury being off for you know with the, the spaceship or whatever, that's one thing. But this is an actual plot point that would have made the movie better and added a lot of tension and stakes and all of those sorts of things. And instead, it's just a treat to say, oh, yeah, and look, ha ha. No, this belongs in the movie. It's just it's the same sort of sense of story betrayal that I felt with Ant-Man and the Wasp, where they had that stinger. And I say, wait, so this whole thing was just for that? Well, why wasn't that in the movie? Like, I, it just, you know, that sort of stuff irks me because it's almost as if um, I could have ignored everything and just seen the stinger, which funnily enough, I did see No Way Home in the theater and I had had these stingers spoiled for right. me. And I can tell you, having seen Far From Home now, I did fine with that. So in a sense, it's such a cheat. Because I literally just watched Stingers and I had enough going in for 
you know, added impact for, uh, for, for No Way Home and everything. You know, I, I do think that, and that's an interesting thing to bring up, I, I feel like that, you know, with the reveal of who Peter is, I, I think it's a great moment. Um, you know, I, I do feel like um, what's interesting is that it's not really a stinger because it actually is a continuation of the movie. They just put it, you know, in the stinger position, you know, in midway mm-hmm. through the credits. But it really is yeah. part of the movie. So I, I, I'll let it pass on that. But I, I to me... I do think that No Way Home actually makes Homecoming and Far From Home better than they were because that movie takes a lot of what these movies did and really utilizes them to the full advantage, right? And so that's a place where a sequel retroactively ameliorates some things in the previous films and makes them, I think, more rewarding to watch, which is kind of weird. Um, but I, I, for me, that actually does happen. So I think maybe with some distance that might happen with me, but right now having seen, uh, no way home in the theater and absolutely adoring it. And then coming back to this, my experience was not that far from home was enhanced. It was boy. Wow. They really, pulled it together after this movie like it it was more of a if i had seen this in the movie theater i probably would have been extremely skeptical of the positive press that far that uh, no way home was getting if that makes sense Mm -hmm. well what did you think of you know michael giacchino is back here with the music uh and you know obviously continuing uh the work that he did on homecoming so did this live up to that? Did you did you like it? What'd you think? A little disappointed. It was okay. But I didn't there was nothing about the score where I was like, wow, that's really good. And I just listened to a Jaquino score uh for the Batman that I thought was fantastic and unexpected. Uh and this one I thought was it was there. It was fine. What about you? I think that this is very similar to what we got in Homecoming, which is good. But I mean, you know, it's not like my favorite score or anything. I, I think it's good. I think it does the movie justice. It does what it needs to do for the film. Um, you know, uh, he continues the work he did with the theme, uh, you know, that I, I enjoy the theme. Um but I, I didn't feel like there was anything in the film that that was extra special, right? Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's good. It, it it's just not something that like really stood out to me as great. And and I mean, that's not necessarily a terrible thing because in the end, you what you want most from the score of a film for is for it to do well with the movie itself and i think it does but otherwise it it does not transcend you know to the level of amazing film scores so yeah fair enough well um you know i don't i don't know is there anything else john 
good or bad, you know, especially since this is the first time you've seen this that stuck out to you about Far From Home? Uh, the only the only thing I would add is that uh, Tony Revolori is kind of wasted. He has some great moments to shine here, and I wish they used him more. He's very funny, very charming, great screen presence, and I I wish they'd leaned into that a bit more. Um, maybe instead of uh, what they did with the Brad character, which really went nowhere. But that's about all I'd have to add. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at this point then, I am ready for us to get to our ratings for mm. Far From Home. So, John, where are you? It's tough. This is pretty, pretty, pretty tough. Jake Gyllenhaal saves it for me because I did really like what he did with Mysterio. There were some good emotional beats with Peter and MJ and Ned that worked. Uh, and as much as it, it falls victim to its own spectacle, there are things I can pull out that I think are entertaining and, and to your point, thematically worthwhile. So this this winds up sliding in with a two stars from me. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So where I was when the movie came out and I had rated it, it's three and a half. Still three and a half. So, uh, you know, um, what's interesting is that before I thought this was better than Homecoming. And that was because of I liking the thematic element so more, so much. But in retrospect, I don't think that this is as good as Homecoming. Um, therefore, it'll be interesting then to see where it is in my rankings now because it used to be above Homecoming, so who knows where it falls now. So, John, if you're ranking the MCU films now with Far From Home, where does she fall? Hold on to your hat. Captain America the Winter Soldier still in the top slot. Iron Man 3. Huh? Uh, Iron Man 3, Ant-Man, Guardians Volume 2, Iron Man, Avengers Endgame, Black Panther, Guardians of the Galaxy, Doctor Strange, Civil War, First Avenger, Ant-Man and the Wasp, The Incredible Hulk, Infinity War, Thor, oh no, where on earth is this next movie going to show up? Spider-Man, Homecoming, The Avengers, Howard the Duck. Wow. Spider-Man. Wow. Spider-Man Far From Home. Thor The Dark World. Iron Man 2. Thor Ragnarok. Avengers Age of Ultron. And bring it up the back of the pack. Captain Marvel. What about you, Matt? Man. Okay. The Winter Soldier. Iron Man. Iron Man 3. Civil War. Avengers Endgame. The First Avenger, Black Panther, Guardians 2, Ant-Man, Doctor Strange, The Incredible Hulk, Spider-Man Homecoming, Guardians of the Galaxy, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Avengers, 
Spider-Man Far From Home, Avengers Infinity War, Thor The Dark World, Iron Man 2, Thor, Howard the Duck, Age of Ultron, Captain Marvel, Thor Ragnarok. There you go. There you go. There you go, our caustic definitive lists of the Marvel MCU films ranked. Well, right and there. it's it see this is just going to be so fascinating again because and and it is very interesting and and strange honestly because you know phase 4 is is such a weird beast. Um you know, it's got TV shows, it's got movies, it seems to be going on forever um and with no yeah. end in sight. Uh and so yeah, I, I just don't know. As of right now, there's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. There will be 15 things in it because She-Hulk is supposed to come out as well. That's 15 things in Phase 4, and and that's not even the end. I mean, like we said last time, you still got Quantumania and Guardians 3. It's like, does this phase ever end? And no. Phase four is stuck in the quantum realm. And this, I think, gets to our question last week um, and talking about Endgame. Should have it ended there because what are we going to be building to? Right. Like, what is the Endgame for what's coming up next? Because Feige has said there will not be any more Avengers films. I got nothing. So I don't know. I uh, yeah, I'm right there with you. I just I don't quite understand where we are now in the MCU after Endgame and, you know, in in many ways I feel like, you know, obviously Spider-Man Far From Home didn't really do anything to ameliorate that in any way shape and form. So, well, we will be back in the fall uh most likely uh with Phase 4. We'll see. Uh but we are going to be I don't want anybody to worry. We are going to be covering phase four. John and I are going to be talking about how we want to cover that and when we want to return, mainly because we don't even know when this phase is going to be ending. So true things for us to be able to figure out, but we promise assembling Avengers will return. But John, before that happens, if people want to catch up with you and see where you are online and what you've got going on, where can they find you? Well, just look up Kessel Junkie, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E, Letterboxd and Goodreads, a lot of fun. Warning, I read controversial stuff on Goodreads, so, you know, not for the faint of heart. Uh, And you can find me over on the Nerd Party Network, co-hosting two shows. One of them is called House Lights that I co-host with Tristan Riddell and Darren Moser, where we talk about the works of directors uh, by different categorizations, decades, phases of their career, all of those sorts of things. And co-hosting a delightful Star Wars podcast called Aggressive Negotiations that I co-host with you, Matthew Rushing. And you could find me all over social media under the name Matt Rushing Zero Two. Uh, you can also uh, so like Instagram, Twitter, Letterboxd, Vero, all of those places. Uh, you can also find me here on the network in the main Six Hundred Two Club feed with all of the shows we're doing there about all of the phantoms we love. You can also find me here doing. The Orb, Warp 5, Literary Tracks, and The Artificial Tango. 
The Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Warp 5 is about Star Trek Enterprise. Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And The Artificial Tango is about Star Trek Picard, as Chris and I look at Season 2 of Star Trek Picard. Uh, you can also find me over on the Nerd Party Network when I'm not doing aggressive negotiations. I did a show called Owl Post with Drea Kaufman where we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. But thank you so much for joining us. Avengers, let's take a nap.